Welcome to Divine Intimacy Radio, a co-production of EWTN Radio and SpiritualDirection.com, where we provide you with a spiritual haven of rest and explore the riches of the wisdom of the saints and the path to union with God. This is Dan and Stephanie Burke. Welcome to Divine Intimacy Radio, your radio haven of rest. Your hermitage of the heart. Your monastery of the mind where we lift our hearts and minds to heaven to draw on the wisdom of the saints and the glorious traditions of the church to help us navigate the tumult of this life. And today we're, we have back again Joseph Pierce, who is a, a marvelous uh, author, writer, speaker, teacher, and now a friend, God be praised, because we did the Camino together. But Stephanie, why don't you tell folks a little bit about him who may not know some of the details. Okay. So Joseph Pierce is the author of over 30 books. He has presented two 13-part TV series for EWTN on Shakespeare's Catholicism and has hosted four hour-long specials for EWTN on the Catholicism of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Highly recommend it. It's amazing all that's there. He is a visiting professor of literature at Ave Maria University and visiting chair of Catholic Studies at, at Thomas More College of liberal arts. And um, we want to make sure that everybody can get to their website. So his personal website is jpierce.co. So J-P-E-A-R-C-E dot C-O. Welcome, Joseph. Welcome back. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So for those who missed the first segment, you don't want to miss it. it we, we talked about his conversion. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't walk through the book. But it's covered in his book, The Devil. My Journey from Ra Racial Hatred to Rational Love, published by Tan. Today, we're going to be talking, uh, making a transition to something that happened to me on Camino with Joseph and talking about Catholic literature and thinking and how fiction can powerfully permeate our hearts and minds to reveal the truths of the gospel and help people to convert. Those who are already converted to go to a deeper conversion and those who are not, as with Joseph, to discover uh, God in, in many ways through the beautiful literature that the, the church offers, uh, preeminent among which, of course, is J.R.R. Tolkien and his, and his writings. But what happened to me on Camino with Joseph, so he gave us seven lectures. We just got back recently. And uh, I had already been moved very powerfully by The Chosen, the movie, or the t television, whatever, the, however you call it, how that's delivered series and how it reinvigorated a kind of the early love and the touching of the heart of where I connected with Jesus. And he gave me hope in a, in a very personal, powerful way. But because I tend to be more like you, Joseph, not I, I don't pretend to be as smart as you are, but definitely on the intellectual side of things, I just never delve into fiction. It's always just logical, rational, doctrine, dogma, you know, systematic theology and all of that. Of course, the mystical tradition has affected me a lot per, uh, with experiencing God. But in your lectures, you, you reminded me or opened me up more deeply to this idea that we need uh, holy stories and, and ideas presented to us in non-sort of linear logical ways to really help us to convert more fully. Do you agree with that? And if so, how does that work? 
Yes, uh, very much so. And I think it's actually uh, it's, it's expressed most brilliantly, perhaps, by C.S. Lewis. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, it's an allegory of his own conversion journey, mostly an intellectual process. Uh, and that book's called The Pilgrim's Regress. It was uh, published just two years after Lewis's, Lewis became a Christian. But in that, uh, Lewis, the character uh, of, of John, who's the sort of the everyman Lewis figure, meets someone called Father History. And so this person obviously represents history itself. And he said that God's people, um, the Jews, were the only people who, who, who remembered how to read. In other words, the only people that knew the law were the Jews, right? So they were obsessed or preoccupied with writing down the rules because they, they knew how to read. But everybody else, all the Gentiles, had forgotten how to read. But what Father History says is that God did not um, neglect them or ignore them because they had forgotten how to read. He sent them pictures. And so this is, you know, this is exactly what stories are. They present pictures of realities, analogues that we can actually see uh, metaphors for our own life, our own existence, our experience in the lives of others as told to us um, in stories. And that, of course, can be nonfiction. Now, I, I write a lot of biographies. You know, someone's life story is also a story. But of course, it can also be fictional stories such as The Lord of the Rings. You know, what I find fascinating um, about that, Joseph, and I, you, you mentioned it in some of your lectures, is that the Lord, Jesus, when he was here, he taught through story. So it's, it's actually really crucial for us in encountering God is we need, we, we need that. We need to be able to see ourselves in the stories of others. Yeah, and, I, and Jesus actually re reveals himself in, in, in ultimately in the story, which is his own life. You know, uh, you know, the, the way that we know God most intimately is because God shows himself to us. Um, before that, you know, we were we were grappling with theology and, and, and trying to understand who God was. But God revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ you know, through, through a story. And the beautiful nativity story, which is at the heart of Christmas and then his life um, and his, his suffering and his miracles, his healing, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, his descent of the Holy Spirit. The founding of the church, which continues his the journey of his the story of his mystical body through time, so the way that, that that God shows Himself to us is through entering His story, which is history Himself, and then within that story, as as you rightly say, Stephanie, you know He tells us stories. Now, some of the most powerful lessons that Jesus tells us are in His parables, and we, we do need to remember that stories such as the prodigal son are fictional narratives. Right, that Jesus Christ made them up as a story to teach us truths. So fictional stories, such as parables, can tell us very powerful truths about the world in which we live. You know, one th barrier I want to get over before, I know Stephanie has another question about directly about the Lord of the Rings, but the one barrier I want to get over is uh, when people often read John of the Cross, they read a piece of what he's written, and they don't read the whole corpus. They can mi mi misunderstand and and misrepresent what he teaches. That really happens very commonly with Tolkien. Uh, of course, um, uh, that's on the issue of analogy. And you talked about that on the road. I think it's. I'd love for you to repeat that problem because in the Cimmerillion, if I'm pronouncing that right, you know, he talks about the value of allegory, but in the intro in the intro to the Lord of the Rings, he sort of rails against it. Why, why that, con that tension and contradiction? 
Yeah, basically, that we have to understand that there are different types of allegory, and T Tolkien sort of shows us this. So the sort of allegory that he, did, that he said he didn't like was the sort of allegory where the imagination has no freedom. So uh, the, my favourite example is, is again, in C.S. Lewis, in that same work, actually, uh, The Pilgrim's Regress that I mentioned earlier, the, 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 there's a hideous monster who's called the Spirit of the Age. And that hideous monster called the Spirit of the Age imprisons people with, with bad ideas. Uh, and the only re the, those people are freed by the power of the Spirit of the Age by a beautiful woman in shining armour who's called Reason. Uh, and Reason has two uh, sisters called Theology and Philosophy. Now, you know, that's fine. As a teaching tool, it can be very effective. But a story should, if, if you start preaching in a story, it destroys the story as story. So that's why Tolkien was opposed to that sort of allegory being in a story. But what Tolkien talked about was something which he called applicability. In other words, things that are happening in the story are applicable to our own world. And we can, we can see what's happening there and apply them to the world in, 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 which, we, uh, in which we are living. And, and help to help us understand the world in which we're living with a new light. So that is also allegorical, but in a very different sense to that strict or formal allegory. He was also reacting at that time of the writing of the Lord of the Rings to the to the use of his stories, uh, Lord of the Rings in particular, as if it was a commentary on political strife. Was that is, am I wrong about that? No, you're completely correct about that. And that was, I think, what caused him to write that introduction to the second edition of Lord of the Rings, because when the first edition came out, people tried to reduce it, so this sort of political reductionism, to it being about World War II. Um, and you know, Tolkien's work is, a, is an epic that works on the level of theology and philosophy and on the permanent things, the perennial things, not the temporal things. Now, however important World War II it is or was, it's, it's, it's a passing thing. And the Lord of the Rings transcends and supersedes mere reduction to some sort of political allegory. So that, that's why he was opposed to, uh, to that, and, and quite rightly so, because the Lord of the Rings is obviously much richer uh, in meaning than merely being applied to one particular historical event. So before we get to your question, Steph, I just wanted to remind folks, Joseph's work can be found at J. Pierce dot co j p e a r c e dot co and i'd recommend if you wanted if you've never uh, encountered joseph either his race with the devil book about his personal journey or frodo's journey discovering the hidden meaning of the lord of the rings i'd strongly recommend but why don't we jump into the lord of the rings stuff yeah so many people and i was included i was one of them i was deeply surprised to learn that the lord of the rings has anything to do with catholicism so in what way might might it be said that it's Catholic? If you can give us some examples of that. Yeah, so um, they're, they're, they're numerous. That's why obviously I've written a whole book on it. So this is going to be the soundbite version. Uh, but 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 the key the key thing is to quote Tolkien. He Tolkien himself, and he knows the work better than anybody. He wrote it. Uh, the Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. They are Tolkien's own words. So our our task, our quest, if you like, is to is to discern the depth of the Catholicism in it. And when you I could go anywhere, but the, the the best way to start, I think, is the date on which the ring is destroyed, uh, and that's March the twenty fifth, 
which of course Catholics will certainly know as the Feast of the Annunciation. And as Catholics also know, life does not begin at birth, but at conception, which means that the Annunciation is actually a more important feast day than Christmas, because it's on March the 25th that God becomes man, that the Word becomes flesh, not December the 25th. But what even Catholics don't know, most of them, is that, that the March the 25th is also, according to church tradition, the historical date on which the crucifixion happened. Now, of course, we don't uh, assign a particular date to the crucifixion because Good Friday and the Easter Triduum, uh, the Triduum and the Easter uh, season are, are movable feasts. But the historical um, uh, event of Christ being crucified on Golgotha obviously happened at one moment in history. And according to tradition, that's March the 25th. So the fact that, that, that uh, Tolkien has the, the ring destroyed on the date both of uh, the incarnation and the crucifixion, which coupled, taken together with the resurrection is our redemption. And what our redemption means is that we are redeemed from original sin uh, and for the power of that original sin. Um, so what is the original sin? Original sin is the one sin to rule them all and in the darkness bind them. What's the one ring? The one ring to rule them all and in the darkness bind them. And the one sin and the one ring are both destroyed at the same significant date. That is at the heart of the Catholicism of the Lord of the Rings. Fascinating. When we get back from the break, I know Stephanie wants to talk about the power of the ring and the power of sin. We'll be right back with Joseph Pierce. The beautiful fact that no suffering is wasted, that all suffering has a purpose. And to wrestle with the idea, which is that everything that happens in our lives is either willed or permitted by God. Okay, God, why would you permit these things? I know that you're a good father and you're a loving father. So there's something there. So I have to bridge this gap between your permission of my suffering to your love for me as a father. And Uniformity with God's Will, the book by, by St. Alphonsus Liguori, bridges that gap. And he explains, as only he can, because he's such a hard hitter, the reality that these are all moments of growth, of virtue, of, hey, your legs are weak. You're like a newborn deer. You can't stand on your own. We need to get you to stand on your own. You know, those sorts of things. Even, even desolation. You know, the day-to-day kind of the ebbs and flows of the spiritual life. Those things are all permitted for a greater good, whatever that might be. Check out the brand new updated version of Uniformity with God's Will titled Finding Peace in the Storm with Commentary by Dan Burke. Welcome back to Divine Intimacy Radio. Dan is Stephanie Burke with Joseph Pierce. I just couldn't recommend his lectures is teaching more we we're going to get him on the uh, avila institute uh teaching on uh, some of the things we're talking about here which i'm very excited about at some point you can find out more about joseph at jpierce.co p-e-a-r j-p-e-a-r-c-e.co and i'd recommend you know if this is interesting to you frodo's journey discovering the hidden meaning of the lord of the rings who, who published that was that ignatius that's uh, also 10 books. Also 10 books. All right, great. Steph. One of the most fascinating aspects of Lord of the Rings is the ring itself, right? And the power of it, the lure of it, um, ha what happens when you put it on, how you, you automatically become visible to that eye. So what is that 
represent? How is there a connection between the power of the ring and sin? And, and how does that tie into our faith? Yeah, so I, I, again, Tolkien gives us the connection in the date of, of the, its destruction. Um, March 25th, we can say that the ring is synonymous with sin. It signifies sin. But in what way? Well, what we see with the ring, first of all, it gives us the illusion of power. So it's, it's, you know, we, we, we commit a sin because it empowers us, right? Self-empowerment. We can do what we want and not what, what, what other people want us to do, what other people think we should do. It's self-empowering. It's self but when we do that, that um, ring, that sin is addictive. Um, and the more that we do it, the more addicted to it we are. And of course, an addict is by definition not free. So when we choose to sin, when we choose to put the ring on, so the, the putting the ring on is the act of sin. Then we put the ring on, we are actually opening ourselves up to becoming addicted to its power. And I think one of the big lessons of the Lord of the Rings is that the thing possessed possesses the possessor. Mm. We become possessed by the things that we possess. And St. Matthew's Gospel, you know, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And of course, the ring is the precious, right? This is where our treasure is. And when you put the ring on, you become visible to the good world that God made because you excommunicate yourself. You're in mortal sin. You've now become more visible to the dark Lord Sauron's world. He can see you because you're in his domain. The longer you're in it, the more you begin to shrivel and shrink like Gollum. We Gollumize ourselves when we become addicted to the sin. Um, and uh, become a, just a shriveled, shrunken wreck. And ultimately, we end up in hell like the ring wraiths, um, where, where we, we have no personality that's separate from the will of the Dark Lord as uh, expressed in the power of the ring, the power of sin. When we were bringing Absolutely. up our... I'm sorry. When we, when we were bringing up our kids, one of the things is we would go to the movies and we would talk about Christ figures and, you know, the, what's going on. And certainly in... Uh, C.S. Lewis's works, it's it's a clear analogy as we've talked about. It's Aslan is is God, and uh, but in Lord of the Rings, there is no central Christ figure. I mean, correct me, but there are multiple Christ figures that partially represent him. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, so yes, T Tolkien is much more subtle than C.S. Lewis, and I and I love Narnia and I love C.S. Lewis. I would have been quoting him. Uh, in, in today's show, uh, but you know, in in the in all seven of the Chronicles of Narnia stories, Aslan is the son of God, so he's Christ figure at all times in all stories. In Lord of the Rings, things are much more subtle. Nobody's a Christ figure in that way, but certain certain characters are Christ figures and aspects of who they are, what they do. So, for instance, if the if the ring is synonymous with sin. If the ring signifies sin, then wearing the ring to be a ring wearer is to is to is to be a sinner. But instead of uh, wearing the ring, we choose to bear the ring. If we're a ring bearer and not a ring wearer, we 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 uh, carrying the burden of sin without sinning, right? And and that's the that that's the synonym of carrying the cross. So insofar as Frodo Baggins is the ring bearer, um, he can be seen as a Christ as a cross bearer. And therefore, as a Christ figure. And again, Tolkien makes this clear because apart from the fact that Frodo Baggins arrives at Mount Doom, Golgotha, uh, on March the 25th, the date of the crucifixion, he actually leaves Rivendell with the company of the Fellowship of the Ring on December the 25th. 
So, so Frodo's journey as the ring bearer, as the frost bearer, is Christ's journey from his birth in Bethlehem to his death on Golgotha. So we certainly see that, that in, in, in Frodo Baggins as the ring bearer, we see, we see a Christ figure. But we also see a Christ figure in the death, resurrection, and transfiguration of Gandalf. So he dies, and, he, and we told him that in, in, the, in the story he really dies. It's not pretending. He's not going to wait to take, take a rest. He dies, and when he's resurrected, he's resurrected and simultaneously transfigured because he's no longer Gandalf the Grey, he's Gandalf the White, and he has to put his grey cloak over him because he's too dazzling to even look at. Uh, so he puts a grey cloak on, on, and it's like a cloud covering the sun. So in the, in the death, resurrection, and transfiguration of Gandalf, we see a Christ figure, and uh, at least as important, in the return of the king. So uh, Aragorn is the true king, and we're told uh, that the, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and Aragorn, in his kingship, has great healing powers. And also, only the true king can take the paths of the dead and survive. Um, everybody else takes the paths of the dead. This this valley where, where, the, where the accursed dead uh, live. They die. But the true king, it's said, can take the paths of the dead and survive. Aragorn takes that path. He doesn't only survive. He has the power to release the dead themselves from their curse, which, of course, has to remind us of the power of Christ descending into hell following the crucifixion. Fascinating. Um, so just absolutely fascinating. And, and going back to the ring bearing, Frodo's the weakest, the, the least of them, the smallest. It's just absolutely fascinating. So Tolkien wrote that great stories, especially fairy stories, hold up a mirror to man. You spoke a lot about this on, on our Camino. How do we see a reflection of ourselves in the Lord of the Rings? Yeah, so basically, in a general sense, the Lord of the Rings is, a, is perhaps one of the finest, perhaps the finest example of it. But Tolkien talks about this as being true of fair stories in general and fairy stories in particular. So if you look at a physical mirror, right, this, we might see this as a metaphor for materialism, right? We look at a physical mirror of ourselves. All we're seeing is the physical image of ourselves. What we're not seeing is what we're feeling, our emotions, uh, our, our, our spiritual beliefs, our intellect. We're seeing nothing metaphysical. We're only seeing the physical. What a great story can show us, and the Lord of the Rings shows us to a profound degree, is that it holds up not just that physical mirror, but a metaphysical mirror, which is also a mystical mirror, because it shows us, first of all, who we are in our fullness, which is in our spirit as well as our flesh, but also shows us uh, not just who we are, but who we should be, and who we shouldn't be. So it's also a moral mirror. So this is a, really a magical mirror that, 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 that's, that great stories, including Lord of the Rings, can, can, can hold up to us to show us ourselves. And there are various figures in Lord of the Rings who we can see actually see as every man figures, as those in, who in some sense represent us in the story. Beautiful. We're, yeah. with, we're with Joseph Pierce. You can find more about him at jpierce.co. Strongly recommend his book, Frodo's Journey. Discovering the Hidden Meaning of the Lord of the Rings by Tan Books. And also what we talked about in our first segment was Race with the Devil. Uh, Stephanie, I think we have time for a few more questions. And I know you were, I could always tell when you're, when you're wanting to ask. So can you tell us something about Tolkien's own faith, like his journey and where he was in all this? Yes. Yeah, so basically he didn't have an easy childhood. Um, 
So his father died when he was only three years old. Um, mm -hmm. And he, that, that plunged his mother uh, and, and Tolkien and his brother Hilary into poverty. Um, and so they were, they, were, they were very poor. And then the Tolkien's mother becomes a Catholic in 1900 when Tolkien's uh, only eight years old and has both her sons baptized and received into the church at the same time. So I sometimes refer to, to Tolkien as a cradle convert, um, so not, neither a cradle Catholic nor an adult convert. Um, and then his mother dies uh, in 1906 when he's only 14 years old. Uh, and thereafter, his legal guardian it, it becomes a, a father, Francis Morgan, who was a friend of, his, of Tolkien's mother's. Uh, and she entrusted her two sons to Father Francis Morgan, who was an Oratorian, so a part of the order established in Birmingham by, um, by uh, St. John Henry Newman, following the, the practice of St. Philip Neri. Um, and then uh, Tolkien said of Father Morgan, he was a, a, a father to me much better than most real fathers, or many real fathers. He also considered his mother to be a martyr, um, because... Uh, Following her conversion, both her own family and her husband's family disowned her um, and withdrew the financial support. So the family were thrown from poverty into penury. And Tolkien said it's not to everybody that, that, that God gives such an easy path to his great mercies as giving us a mother who died um, for love uh, and, and to ensure that we keep the faith. And later on, many years later, he said, when I think of my own mother uh, who, who, who died to ensure us keeping the faith, who was a martyr. Uh, it, 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 it hurts me when I see my own children uh, stray away from the faith. So he saw his mother's uh, martyrdom as, as something which uh, showed the love of God. And he remained a Catholic throughout his life. And uh, although I can't remember the whole quote, there's a glorious quote about the Blessed Sacrament, which, uh, with which I end my book, Frodo's Journey. Uh, where he says, um, I will show you the one great thing to love on earth, the blessed sacrament. There you will find romance, glory, honor, uh, and fidelity, and the true way of all your loves on earth. And he, can, he carries on. So he had a great love for our Lord in the blessed sacrament. Well, Joseph, uh, I couldn't imagine a better time to spend, better uh, morning than to spend time with you, talking about uh, the beauty and the wisdom and the goodness of what comes out of the heart of the man who's converted, um, both you and, and Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and the saints, you know, that we talk so much about on this show. So thank you for your great work. Folks can find out more uh, about it at jpearce.co. It's jpearce.co. Um, uh, Ignatius Press publishes many of his works, Tan, uh, Frodo's Journey, which we've been talking about discovering the hidden meaning of the Lord of the Rings uh, is a great place to start and uh, really want you to get out there and support his work. It will help you to grow spiritually and, and mature in your faith. Joseph, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Dan and Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me. Keep up the great work that you're doing. Until next time, may the God of peace make you perfect in holiness. May he preserve you whole and entire spirit, soul, and body, irreproachable, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Learn more about the interior life. Visit spiritualdirection.com. Divine Intimacy Radio is a co-production of EWTN Radio and spiritualdirection.com and heard worldwide on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.